I ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When you get to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go to verse 12, and you're going, Jeff, that's where we were last week, and I know. We're just going to touch it just a little bit again as we go on, and in just a minute, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go to verse 12. We'll be reading verses 12 to 15 here in just a moment. If you're using that pew Bible, it's on page 1,358 in the pew Bible. This week, on Thursday morning to be specific, I got up just before sunrise and I went for a run. And I ran for five miles. I love to go run. And I especially love to go run on that particular morning for it was 59 degrees. Now, 59 degrees compared to what we've been living in is plum cold. But man, it was a comfortable, comfortable morning to go run. You know, I've been seeking to get back into my running since my health issues earlier this year, and I've had to fight to get it done. Let me tell you, if you're a runner, if you're doing something of value, don't stop. Because once you stop getting it started back again is work. It is hard to get it done. And, um, but part of it is I had stopped running for at least six months, and so I needed to get back in, so I'd lost all of that. But it also coincided that when I decided it was time to start running, it was summer. And you know, no matter what, you can get up as early before sunrise as you want to, but there are lots of mornings you wake up, and it's going to be 80 degrees before the sun even comes up, and it's even warmer than that when you're running. And so I've had to push and get, uh, you know, to run more and more as it was hotter and humid. So this cool morning reminded me of the fall season to come. And as I was running down my street, I, I looked to my neighbor's house on the right toward the end of my road, and I saw that they have one of those big wooden signs that you can set beside your door. It's about as about as tall as your door, about a foot wide. It used to have something on it. There said, summer. And here I am at 59 degrees, thinking, nope, fall is coming, and I look forward to it. I started thinking on that run, and since that time, what season I liked best. You know, there are four, spring, summer, fall, and winter. I immediately eliminated summer due to the heat. And I eliminated winter due to the cold. I really like fall and spring as they both offer much milder temperatures. But in the end, I settled on spring for one specific reason. Every day in the spring, the sun stays up longer and longer and longer. Every day in the fall, the sun goes down quicker and quicker and quicker. And I vote for daytime. And so spring is my favorite season of the year. You know, each season has its own appeal, and you have your favorite, and that's good. I just want you to remember your season. That's what we're talking about. And it's into this backdrop of talking about seasons that I ask you to stand with me as we read today's scripture passage. From the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up in verse 12, and it says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep that scripture up, or we're going to spend just a few minutes covering what the Lord has for us. One of my prayers each week is that I understand what the Lord wants me to share. One of the reasons we pass out the scripture on Wednesday during our prayer meeting and, and so is you can know what the scripture is so that you can study it ahead because God doesn't have something just that he wants me to say, even though he does. God has something that he wants you to hear from him. And that can be done through the preached word, but it can also be done through the work of the Holy Spirit as he takes the word of God and applies it to your life. And so I just ask you to stay all the way involved in this message for what God has for you. It's my prayer. The last thing I pray before I get up each Sunday is, Lord, help me just to be quiet. They don't need to hear what I think or say and help me just to be used by you. And I'm not claiming any special knowledge. I'm just seeking to cling obediently to the Word of God and be faithful to the call that He has placed on my life to share it. So as we walk into these verses, look at verse 12. It says that Paul urged us. Remember, we talked about this last week, that Paul urged us to recognize those who labor. Verse 13 says, to highly esteem in love those for their work. And we took time last week to do that. God's word is incredibly thorough, calling us to do things recognized last week at just the right time. And I was encouraged by that and challenged by that because, see, abiding by God's word is the most appropriate thing that you can do every single time. Being in God's word, studying God's word, getting to know God's Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you God's Word, and then hopefully you allow it to be that authority in your life that tells you how you are to live situation by situation. Now, I want to encourage you that in order for that to happen, you need to spend time in God's Word daily to get your guidance and direction. Combine that, as I've mentioned a couple times already, with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it will create a faithful life. And that's what Scripture is seeking to compel us to do. And so verse 14 gives us this transition word, now. Now means taking what has just happened into account, but seeking to move forward. The word now is a transition word. It's a Where have we been and what is it supposed to do to help me to keep moving forward? Because of what's just happened, we are called now to do something else. And Paul goes on in verse 14, it says, now we exhort you. Now, if you recall a few weeks ago, and I mentioned it last week, Paul urged us last week. Paul was trying to get us to do things that we were not doing. We talked about the word urge. Paul uses the word exhort. It's a similar word to urge, but it's a different word 
Because the word urge defined is to thoroughly encourage, to give advice, or to fill up with encouragement. You see, you urge someone to do something that they're currently not doing, and you exhort someone, encourage them when they feel like that they can't do something. And so Paul has shifted from urging into exhorting. He's telling them through exhorting them, you can do this. What he's getting ready to encourage them or to exhort them to do. So verse 14 says, now we exhort you. Paul is calling these people. Let's define these people from verses 12 and 13. Paul is calling these recognized, loving people that are at peace with one another. That's what verses 12 and 13 have positioned them as, to do something else. And you may be wondering, why is there always something else? Why can't it just be enough? Jeff, every Sunday, you just say, and God wants you to do something else. I know you feel that way. I feel that way from time to time myself. And that's an interesting thing. It's a very fair statement to wonder why is God calling? Well, let me start with one that's fair to say, is it really? Every time I open God's word, every time I interface with him, he wants me to do something more. Well, that's a fair question to ask. And let me give you the short answer. Yes, he is. It is his desire that you become more and more and more and more and more like his son. And we don't get there until we begin to set down things, until we begin to take up things that make us look more and more like Jesus. Now, how long is that going to happen in our lives? We're going to get to that here in just a few minutes. And so Paul in verse 14, if you saw it, I'm going to try to let you see it more clearly. He calls us to do Four things. Four things he tells us to do. Look it back with me in verse 14. They're all right there. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Now, I want us to look at these four things individually for just a moment, but I want to start by reminding you that Paul is not urging them to do this. He is challenging them to do this. He's exhorting them to do this. He's telling them, you can do this. And what I want you to do as we look at these things is see that these phases that we're going to walk through of someone's life are a whole lot like seasons, or at least that's what they look like to me when we do this. So let's start with the uh, first one. Warn those who are unruly. If you're in the NIV this morning, that phrase in your scripture there for unruly is idle and disruptive. So we need to make sure that we don't make it unruly as in some child or individual that just cannot be controlled. This is actually the opposite of that. Unruly is someone who is idle. They're not doing and by their not doing, they're being disruptive. Think about it just a second, church. As we all get together to pull on the ministry rope effectively together, Paul has recognized them all, and he's thanked them for their work and their effort. And he said, now you want to do this together. 
be at peace with all men. And just imagine we're in this tug of war, and you were you and everybody on your pew, some of you are going to have to pull harder because your pew don't have near as many people on it. But you're pulling and tug of war, and then all of a sudden you look in the people that you're pulling with, they're not pulling. You wonder why you're getting drug all over the ground, why you're facing and going this way so fast. And you look back and you go, pull. Those people are being unruly. They're being idle. And by being idle, by not doing what they've been called to do, it's disruptive. You see, so many times we think that disruptive is doing something. And it can be. But Scripture is teaching us now that when you don't do something, you can be disruptive. And we get that. If something in your body that's functioning right now, if something in my body stops functioning, like my heart goes idle, it's going to be disruptive to this service. So let's all pray that doesn't happen until at least after the invitation, right? But we know what it means to be able to do that. And Paul says that these idle people are being disruptive. Let me make this statement. Anything that is not building the kingdom of God is tearing it down. There is no middle ground. When idle as seen as disruptive, you're either building or you're tearing down. Mark chapter 9, verse 40, Jesus said this, For he who is not against us is on our side. And I read that and I reversed it. Let me give it to you in the opposite saying. If you're not on our side, you're against us. You're either building the kingdom or tearing down. And Paul says that these people that are unruly, that are idle, that are disruptive, that aren't doing something. You know, the church is full of unruly people. You're going, Jeff, I've been called a lot of things this week, but I've not been called unruly. But it's there. And Paul says it's such not a good thing to be unruly, to be idle to be disruptive, that you need to be warned. Paul says, warn them. There comes a time, church, when we must, out of love, confront those believers who are not doing their part and to challenge them to walk according to Jesus. Another way of looking at idleness is being unproductive. Scripture speaks of this. It's called fallow ground. You may have heard that statement before. It's an agricultural term, ground that has been intentionally taken out of production. Can I ask you right now, are you withholding any area of your life from God? Your financial life, your work life, your family life, your habit life, your hobby life. Are there places of your life that you go, nope, God can have this. I'll give him from 10 to 11, and, and every now and then, I'll give him Sunday school, but that's all God's going to get. The rest of it's my time. Paul is warning you that if you're going to be in a relationship with Jesus, you got to be productive. you got to be involved, not disruptive. And let me tell you, what I've heard this week from last week, 
Do you know that when you take time to recognize those whose labor and highly esteem those that are working for the kingdom, do you know they don't just go, thank you, take a bow, and sit down and stop the game? You know what that does? It encourages them even more to do even more because they realize that it's all for Jesus. So can I tell you that if you're not serving, if you're withholding an area of ground, God speaks to that. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this, Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance to kindness, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Hosea is saying that if you have ground that you're not allowing the Lord to use, you need to break that up. It's called seeking the Lord. Paul says we're to warn people who are withholding themselves from God. So here's a question. Have you released everything in your life to God? Is God actually the authority and in charge of every area of your life? Are you withholding anything from him? Any area of your life? Can I just tell you today that based upon the truth of Scripture, today God is going to ask you for access to every part of your life you're withholding from him. I would encourage you to say, Yes, Lord, because you win when you surrender everything to the Lord. So not only are we to warn those who are unruly, Paul says a second thing, we are to comfort the faint-hearted. Paul says that we are to come close to those who are discouraged. Now, I could, and I'm not asking you to do this, but I'm asking you to think about this. Is there anything in your life right this second that's discouraging? The chances are very high that you are discouraged or being challenged to be discouraged about something or have recently been discouraged about something. And Paul is saying that we need to comfort the discouraged. You know, sometimes the challenges or problems that we encounter in our life are not related to anything that we have done wrong. You know, the disciples... Asked Jesus, is this man blind because of something his parents did or something he did? Jesus said, no. This was done so that I could be glorified. We need to recognize that sometimes the challenges and issues in our lives, think of Job, don't have to come from somebody's done something wrong. And Paul says we need to comfort the faint-hearted. You see, burdens and problems that I am facing, that you are facing, that people that you know are facing can be hard. They can be heavy. They can be burdensome. And try as we might, they impact us. They hurt us, and they slow us down. And Paul says that we are to comfort these people. We are to see them, recognize it, and then go to them, to be near them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen to this. Who comforts us in our tribulation 
that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It is my hope that you have seen God's faithfulness to comfort you in and through something, and as such, you are called to comfort the faint-hearted, to take what you've received and to share it with someone else who is discouraged. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. John 16, says, In the world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen. We are to go to people. Share with people that we have faced challenges. And speak to the faithfulness of God and the comfort that he provided unto us. We encourage them to trust God, turn to God, seek God, and that we will be willing to walk with them along this pathway of discouragement. You know, sometimes the best thing you can do when someone is discouraged is just be there. Is just be there. There's a Jewish tradition I learned about a number of years ago that I just love the thought of. It's called sitting shiva, S-H-I-V-A. Sitting shiva. It's being there, not talking, not trying to fix. You're just silently there. And that brings comfort to people. And Paul says, I want to exhort you to do that. You can do this. You can Warn the unruly. You can comfort the faint-hearted today. If you're discouraged today, can I share with you that God loves you? God knows what you're facing, and he is faithful. And based upon my experience and the truth of God's word, he will deliver you through this time. But church, let me also tell you that he's called us to comfort one another. I desire to be here for you. Whether you have been attending here longer than I have, which is more than 25 years, and a lot of you have, or whether you've just been here a little bit, or whether you're walking in for the very first time and you go, I don't know why I'm here, except I'm discouraged. I just want you to hear, I want to be there for you. And church, I would like to think that my desire to be there for someone would be echoed by your sincere desire to be there for someone as well. And so while I can only speak for me, be attentive, church. Be aware. We tend to see when people are struggling and go the other way. I would tell you to run into the opportunity for God to be honored and glorified. Amen? Church, we must comfort each other. So not only are we to warn the unruly, we are to comfort the faint-hearted. And the third thing Paul says in that verse is we are to uphold the weak. Those that are weak are typically those that are defined as struggling with sin in their lives. And those that are struggling with sin in their lives, we are called as followers of Christ to come to them and to uphold them. That's effort, to uphold them. 
to come alongside them in a time of weakness, to challenge them, to encourage them, to help them fight the temptation to yield to that sin. Our memory verse from last week, and I pray that every week you're looking in the bulletin and you're seeing our family memory verse and you're taking time to allow God to write that on your heart by memorizing it. But our scripture from last week is a great, great verse on this topic. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be, may be able to bear it. Now, let me tell you what that didn't say. That didn't say God won't place more on me than I can take. We misuse this verse all the time. Let me tell you, it's exactly the opposite. God is always going to put you in a position to where it's bigger than you can take it. Because he's calling you to look to him, trust him, follow him. And so this scripture, while it doesn't say God won't put more on me than I can handle, that's not what it says. But what it does say is we all face temptation. Common to man. God does not tempt us, but he knows when we are tempted. God can provide us the strength to fight the temptation. God will provide what that scripture said, a way of escape that you may be able to withstand the sin, that you can say no. Church, simple statement. You do not have to sin. And some of you just said, but I'm human. I'm not going to be perfect. Okay, I'll let you say that. But based upon that scripture right there, let me just go ahead and challenge you. You do not have to sin. Now, let me just use an example. If Satan is Satan, and I know he is, and we allow him in our lives to work sometimes, and I know we do, there's at least one person in this room right now that's got their sin planned for this afternoon. Okay? We go, well, yeah, I, I could probably understand. Because sin, Scripture talks about it, works up in our life. It's not just this thing that hits us and we react to it. No, sin is something we baby and nurse and raise up and grow up, and then we invest in it, and then we let it happen. And so there's the chance right now that there's somebody that's got your sin planned. It's calling for you, whether you desire to do it or whether it's got a hold of you. And I just want to tell you based upon that scripture that I want to help uphold the weak. You do not have to give in to that sin. You can look for the way of escape that God is providing you. And the interesting thing is you're going, I don't need no way of escape. I'm strong. I don't know about you. Last time I read about Satan, last time I read about Jeff, Satan's going to kick me around every single time I go one-on-one -on -one with him. The Scripture teaches me that I don't need to go one-on-one -on -one with Satan ever. My job is to recognize sin, run to Jesus, say, Father, help me. Take the way of escape and walk away. You do not have to sin. God can help you stand firm. Here's how you win the fight with sin. Run from it. Run from sin. Run to Jesus. We are told to uphold those who are weak, those that are struggling with sin. We can help others fight sin only if they are willing to confide in you, and two, you are willing to get involved.
Church, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God is going to cause people through the truth of God's Word to look for people to confide in. I'm going to ask you, church, to be ready. To be ready to help them, to uphold them. Because we're told to warn the unruly. We're told to comfort the faint-hearted. We're told to uphold the weak. And Paul says the fourth thing, we are to be patient with all. This is likely the hardest thing that we're going to be called to do today, to be patient. You see, we must be patient with people who are discouraged and challenged. We must be patient with people who are currently withholding fallow ground from God. We must be patient with people who are caught up in sin. We must be patient with people who desire to change and with people who desire not to change. Patient with all. We must demonstrate compassion, which is love in action, without compromise. Look at verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil. See that phrase? See that? Paul is giving Christians the responsibility to do something. You, you've heard that phrase. See to it. James is saying, I mean, Paul is saying, see to it. See that you do it. Get involved. Do something and see that people do not render. Get involved. Make a difference. Be different personally. But look at verse 15 also gives us this alternate response. Pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. It's very interesting. We talked about this in the small group Sunday school class I was in this morning. Jesus said that we, the greatest commandment, and you can read that number of places, but in Mark, I mean, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40 is one, where Jesus said that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Scripturally speaking, if you don't sell out to God, you can't love your neighbor. But if you don't sell out to God, you can't love yourself either. And did you notice that Jesus said you are to love your neighbor as yourself? And so you're limited in the love that you can show to your neighbor by the love that you have for yourself. And the love that you have for yourself is limited by how much of your heart, soul, mind, and strength you've given to Jesus. And you're going, so I'm supposed to look after for myself? Yes. You are supposed to want the very best for yourself. Now, I'm not going uh, all abundant living, you know, ask it, receive it, kind of. That's not what I'm going. What I'm going at is Jesus is saying, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you should want the absolute very best for yourself. And what I have found from studying the scripture and seeing in my life, the absolute thing that you can do with your life that is good for you is give it all to Jesus. Give it all to him. Love God first and most. Then love yourself. You'll want what's best for you, and you won't settle for anything less than the best. And then when you find that God-given approval for yourself, let me just help you for just a second. If you know Jesus as your Savior right now, and I've said this before, when he looks at you as a saved child of God, he looks at you through the blood of Jesus, that covering. 
And therefore, he sees you as perfect, holy, and righteous. And you're going, Jeff, but I'm not. I know. And God knows. But it's through his mercy and his grace that he provided Jesus to be that covering to take care of it all. Perfect, holy, and righteous. And church, let me tell you, when we do not seek God fully, then we do not have the most accurate view of ourselves or love for ourselves, how God sees us. We don't have the ability to love someone else. We're limited. Your ability to love someone else is limited by your commitment to God and the love that he has allowed you to see for yourself. When you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it'll change your life. You'll have the appropriate perspective of who you are and how God sees you, and then you'll be ready to love your neighbor because you'll want for your neighbor the absolute best, and you will now know that that is Jesus. Your life will be lived in such a way as to draw others to Jesus. And you know what's interesting? Be very careful. Just like the seasons. We have four seasons here. Yeah, we don't have tons of winter compared to those of you that are here or listening that have experienced winter. We don't really have winter in that way, but we have our, we have our seasons. It's possible that in the church right now, on the phone, online, in the room, that you're in a season. Perhaps you're in a season where you're unruly. You're being idle, disruptive, whether through choice or whether through lack of opportunity. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you're in a season where you're discouraged. You're challenged. You're being burdened. Maybe you're in a season where sin is running a little bit more rampant in your life than you ever thought it would again. Paul's speaking to the church, and he says, seasons happen. But unlike this season, where we're going to have to wait another nine months for summer to begin, you can change your season with Jesus right now. I'm here to tell you that if you're discouraged, God knows. And I pray that not only will you be ready for people to encourage you, but I pray that God will put people around you that will be ready to comfort you. I can tell you that if you're not busy serving the Lord, if you're idle, let me exhort you, you can do it. You'll be blessed because of it. And I pray that you'll take time to allow God to have all those areas of your life. Let me tell you, if you're struggling with sin right now, you're not alone. But you do not have to give in to it. And if you're at that point and you want to figure out, I don't want to sin anymore, you're going to have to reach out to whom God has given you, and that's the church, to uphold you and help you. And church, not only may you find yourself in one of those seasons, and you can change those today and be found faithful, but church, I want to encourage you 
This direction is for you to warn the unruly. This direction is for you to comfort the faint-hearted. This encouragement is for you to uphold the weak and to be patient with all. I mentioned to you, well, how long? Well, whenever I hear the phrase, how long, I'm taken back to Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to encourage you to go there. But in Isaiah chapter 6, God reveals himself to Isaiah. And Isaiah gets a little little look into heaven. And he sees the vision of God. And he hears God. And God said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah, because he's experienced God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, when Isaiah hears God say, but whom will I send? Isaiah, in my book anyway, it's an exclamation mark. He says, me, 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 send me, send me. You see, when you are touched by God that fully, you will not be at peace until you are doing what he has called you to do. And then Isaiah says, okay, God, I'll go. But he goes on and he says, Lord, but how long? How long do you want me to do this? It's the question we ask. How long do I have to be faithful? How long do I have to do this? How long? And in verse 11, God says, until. And if you read on, it's until, summary, I return. Until I come back. Church, you're going to be called to be this every single day. And you're also called to receive this every single day until Jesus comes back. Amen.